You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing there? Oh, you're holding up a brown paper bag. Looks like the kind of lunch bag I used to bring to school. What's in it, Mickey? Well, there's locally um, something on it. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a, is that a burger? Is that a? Hardly, Bob. Hardly a burger. Looks like a burger. But if you unwrap it, it may look like something else. I am on the edge of my literal seat. What is it, Mickey? Bob, you don't recognize this iconic bit of American food? Is that an Egg McMuffin? Correct. Boy, what I'd give for one of them right now. I And I'm holding up the Egg McMuffin because Egg McMuffin is the most interesting story in the political campaign at the moment. Uh, Egg McMuffin being the derisive nickname for Evan McMullen. Evan Mc- the Got independent it. who is running for Senate in Utah against incumbent Mike Lee. Here's a picture of, well, at some point we may have a picture of the handsome visage of Evan McMullen. He but, looks uh, better. He looks better than uh, what you just held up to the screen. Not much. Eh, remarkable resemblance. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's he's the anti-Trump candidate for president, who I thought was an embarrassment, but he's on the verge of beating Mike Lee, an incumbent Republican senator. But wait a out, second, out Mickey, of the blue, five thirty-eight. Fi- finally, paying attention to it. 538 gives Mike Lee a 93% chance of winning, according Correct. to a tweet I saw of yours. But Correct. you're skeptical of 538. 538 is crazy. But wait, this is it's crazy in the opposite direction from the direction you claim. You have been claiming that it's biased against Republicans. Uh I just think it's full of shit. But uh No, no, your your indictment was that it's biased against Republicans. Come on. Here's a, here's a picture of Evan Mickey, McMullen. you're dodging um, my no, he, devastating it's biased. Assault. It's biased against Republicans because it includes a lot of garbage polls from this place called Center Street. Uh, and uh, they aren't in Utah. They're not in Utah. They're they're Maybe that's why they they think McMullen has such a low chance. But, uh, you know, there's this, we've been through this. There's this thing called the incumbent rule. If you're only polling at 40%, 43%, right before the election, you're going to lose because all the incited, undecideds go against the incumbent. That is the position Mike Lee is in. He's now begging for Mitt Romney to endorse him, embarrassingly. Mitt Romney's not going to endorse him. He didn't endorse Romney in 2018. You think Romney wants to take pity on him? I don't think so. So uh, there's a good chance that he goes down. He might not. But the undecideds are sort of... Uh, moderates and they may they may uh go for mcmullen after this picture has been painted of of lee as sort of an extremist a little unfair since a he voted to certify the election after initially saying he was going to help trump out he he claims plausibly that he saw there was no there there and voted to certify the election b he voted for mcmullen in against trump in 2016 so uh wait in in the in the primary no in the in, presidential uh election mcmullen was an independent candidate oh, in was utah he? he got 22 percent of the vote in utah he's a mormon he that was his best state but uh <laughs> he he um so it's a little hard to paint lee as a trumpist extremist but mcmullen is doing his part and the mormon church doesn't seem to like lee 
I've been talking about this for weeks. The mainstream media has finally caught up, Bob. Uh, and they're and they're sounding the alarm. And here's the interesting thing. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, we're getting to the interesting thing. That's good. that's old news. What we've been talking about now. This is the interesting thing I realized. Mm -hmm. Suppose the Senate race comes down. The results are 50 votes. Senate races go Republican, 49 Democratic. Okay. One Evan McMullen. An independent who caucuses with neither party. That's what he says. He will have the balance of power in his hands. If he caucuses with the Republicans, they control the Senate. If he caucuses with Democrats, they have 50 votes. With Kamala Harris, they control the Senate. He will be the second most powerful man in America, more powerful than Joe Manchin. Because Manchin could only decide the fate of individual legislation. He will be able to decide the fate of who controls the entire Senate and all the legislation. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's an unprecedented situation where this guy will luck into this incredible authority. What will he demand for it? Uh, what will his consultant, Mike Murphy, tell him to demand for it? Uh, it, it and I think that's a highly likely outcome. Uh, it requires the Republicans to win three of the four contested states, hot, most, most hotly contested states, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. I think that's about what they're going to do. They're going to win three of those four. So if they lose Utah, as I expect they will, unlike 538, uh, uh, then, then McMullen's in the the king of America for a while. So, you, are you predicting that this will be the case? That no, it'll it's be forty nine fifty, and it's, it's, he'll it's win. It's a low. It's a low odds. Mm. It's a low odds situation. But I would take the odds, and I, I guess I would say, what, what would the odds? Be? That's one of my I'd most likely odds. most likely outcome. I don't know what, what the odds are. What odds would, would you take? People would probably look to five thirty eight, and I'd get pretty good odds. <laughs> but um, uh, the, uh, if I'm right, will they fire Nate Silver and hire me? I ask you. Probably given your quantitative cred. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. So, so anyway, uh, I would say that, that of, of the, uh, if you rated all the outcomes in order of likelihoodness, likelihood, yeah, uh, well. <laughs> this would be probably the most likely outcome. It's probably I think it's, still I think only... it's likelihoodiness actually, but okay. Um, uh, it would probably be the most likely outcome mm. of all of them, but it's not a likely outcome. It's like a 2% chance. There are a bunch of possible outcomes. That's probably not, it may be higher than, I don't know. I might, I might give you those odds. I might, I might bet this happens if you give me 50 to one odds. I might bet that the scenario you just described unfolds. Okay. He wins enough. and holds the balance of power, but you have to give me 50 to one odds. So are we going to add that? No, for you're giving me that last week. You're giving me fifty-one odds. No, you're wrong about that. I'm saying I would take the the odds. I would say I I would say I think you do have at least a two percent chance of seeing what you say. But we're both see. on the same side. No, I'm not going to bet against myself. As always, Mickey, it's you and me against the world, man. Uh, so, but so anyway, that's um, you know, I don't know what he would demand, but. Uh, well, also, I mean, you're you're depicting him as a completely cynical person with no actual ideology. Does he have any kind of actual ideological compass that would naturally incline him to one party or the other? Well, he's viscerally anti-Trump, so he's he's naturally well, inclined to vote for the Democrats. He's a, I actually don't know him about his substantive politics. He's an ex-CIA official who seems to be a bit of a chameleon. But um, uh, 
He has promised the people of Utah that he will not caucus with either party. That would leave it, that would toss it to the Republicans. In the crunch, will he be able to stomach tossing the election to the Republicans when he could be, uh, you know, tossing it to the Democrats? I don't think so. And a lot of people in Washington suspect that in the crunch, he will side with the Democrats. Couldn't he do a de facto caucus without saying it out loud, just reach an agreement with one side that, look, I'm going to be there for you 94 percent of the time. Well, right. But he, he wants committee assignments and all the things. So mm-hmm. he, it's more likely that he would strike a deal. He has to vote. They have, they have to vote for the leader. So he has to either vote or not vote. Oh, I see. He can't do it in yeah, secret. Right, 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 right. But he can he can probably claim to uphold his pledge by saying, cutting a deal with Schumer where he says, I won't caucus with the Democrats. I'm independent, but I'll vote for you and you give me committee assignments. Right. So I get all the things that would happen. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. 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 yeah I, that, that's a very likely outcome. So meanwhile, and, today is the tonight is the Herschel Walker debate. I mean, I think like, so. Yes. Name your it, price. If it's if there's pay-per-view in my neighborhood, just name your price. I'm there. I hate to watch train wrecks. Well, his expectations are so low that he. That right. He, he, you would have to bet that he would do better than expectations. Yeah, it would have to be a huge pileup for him to actually fail. Um, the, uh, um, but is it? The, can you watch? Do you know if you can watch? It must be available on stream. I bet you. I bet you can get it on the web. the uh, The key point about that is the his trying to get his girlfriend to have an abortion and paying for one and trying to get her to have another uh-huh. has not moved the needle at all in the race. Exactly exactly the same as it was before. That doesn't mean a disastrous debate performance wouldn't hurt him. And I still think there's a hidden anti-Walker vote of people who in the voting booth say, sorry, I can't vote for this guy. He doesn't have what it takes. Uh, But who knows? I suspect, as you know, I suspect that will hurt Fetterman, too. Do you think if he uh, repeats the three cows, three bulls anecdote during the debate, that'll move the needle? Uh. Do you know that anecdote? I, I, I you haven't heard it. Re- no. Oh my God! Just watching him tell it is painful. It's such an inherently bad story to begin with, but then the incredible irony, which seems to completely escape him, of of a person who's in the middle of a scandal involving extramarital affairs, telling this story. Do you, do you know the story? He's owning it. It involves somebody impregnating somebody. He says, he says, the moral of the story is, you know, the grass always looks greener on the other side, but it's not. And here's the story, okay? There was this bull. And in the pen with this bull on his side of the fence, there were these three cows. And they were all pregnant. And Herschel says suggestively, so you know, something's been going on there. Yeah, you do, Herschel. So then, but that's not the end. But was he content to, to like, hang out with the and, and care for the cows he had impregnated? No. He saw these three cows on the other side of the fence, okay, and his eyes are fixed on them. He thinks the grass is greener on the other side, Mickey. He jumps over the fence. There, I guess he he gets his stomach and chest all scarred up jumping in the first place, okay? I don't know if it's barbed wire or what, but there's that. It's painful to get over the fence. Then you know what he finds when he gets over the fence? The three cows are actually, can you guess this? Male. They're three bulls. They're three bulls. He should have been content with what he had. That's the story. Well, it's even worse when he tells it. It sounds like it has I a just, profound moral. Best possible life. It has a profound moral, and it's grounded soundly in the wisdom of Darwinian psychology. What's wrong with that? 
It's just you can just imagine. Plus, plus it's completely relevant because you say, "Hey, I had three cows." You know, I should have been connected with that. That's fine. See, that's three the thing. I don't think fine. he's aware of the relevance. I really don't think he's aware of the relevance. A and B. If you locked me in a room and demanded that in five minutes I come up with seven jillion grass is greener on the other side stories that are better than that one, I wouldn't miss by much. I mean, it's really, it's really not a good story. <laughs> what? Uh, anyway. He's a better candidate than I was. Well, yeah. And Give him credit for that. And he said, and he said, yeah, he was a better football player than I was. But. Anyway, anyway, is it, uh, so anyway, I I think that's the one that dem that Republicans are likely to lose, and also it might go to a runoff, but in 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 my scenario, it will be the anti McMullen runoff. It will not be a, you know, it'll be a, I guess that'll still be deciding because if the Republican wins, then the Republicans control the Senate, and if the Democrat wins, the Democrats control the Senate. So it could still be decisive, but it might be in the context of. Uh, they don't really know which way McMullen is going. Will McMullen announce before or after the runoff? I mean, the, the complications are delicious for. Oh yeah. For you know, it's 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 a bit, it's almost as good a story as that three bull story. I wouldn't go that far, but it's good. So what? And what is your prediction on Fetterman now? Uh, I think I Fetterman. Think I'm Fetterman, starting to worry behind about two percent in the Trafalgar poll. The key thing is Republicans are now counting, and it's sort of pathetic that they have to do this, counting on polling bias. Because the polls, I wish they showed a surge for the Republicans. Uh, you know, that the, the trend was unmistakably toward the Republicans. It's not. The generic ballot is sort of stabilized in a slightly pro-democratic uh, direction. Uh, they're, 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 except in isolated states like Wisconsin, they're not real cases of the Republican pulling away mm -hmm. the swing states. Uh, so it's a bunch, it's like five, uh, you know, uh, races that are, what, what, they're on tenterhooks, they're nail biters. No, we're on tenterhooks. Yeah, we're on tenterhooks biting our nails. Anyway, it's a very exciting night, but um, if the polls are biased, it won't be an exciting night because the, if there's a 4% anti-Republican tilt in the polls, because Rural Republican voters don't want to talk to pollsters anymore, so the polls are inherently biased. Uh, uh, then Republicans will win. Um, so, Trafal the best the best uh, rough and ready estimate estimator I can come up with is to trust the Trafalgar poll because that's the most Republican poll that claims there is a bias, claims to correct for it, says he he claims he can't really completely correct for it, but. They're always the most Republican, and even they have Fetterman up by two now, hmm. but he's going down. So unless yeah. he can turn it around in the debate, I think he's going to lose. The well, do, I mean, do, Oz keeps shooting himself in the foot, but yeah, but he, he you know, but his brain's working. I mean, and, and did you see the the NBC interview with Fetterman? I I couldn't. Again, I Mickey, I we count watch on it. you for this. I this, know, this I, should be to you what Ukraine is to me. Right? I don't enjoy watching people suffer. Uh, but apparently it was bad, and apparently he needs close captioning. He needs he can't he can't communicate just by hearing you. He has to see the words on a computer, mm -hmm. and you can do that, and then he's okay. So clearly he's right in saying you can be a senator if you have to use close captioning. Your brain's working, and you just have to use close captioning. 
there's no reason why that person shouldn't be a center. He, maybe he's not as effective as if he can go, you know, one-on-one -on, -one on the Senate floor and actually talk to people, but, but he can, he can do his job. Uh, and I think that is the Byron York sort of took this line, which is he's good enough. He's getting better. Apparently he is getting better. Uh, so now we should focus on the issues that does two things. That should be the Republican line. It does two things. You take the high it road, raises, you look, it raises you expectations good, for the and, debate and it raises expectations. So you get, it's a win-win for Republicans, right, right? People, if he fucks up, people will notice that he's fucking up. You don't have to tell them, Hey, he's going to fuck up. Uh, they can see it for themselves. So, uh, that's what Republicans should do. But I mean, clearly the, the, the anti-ableism argument is right to the extent that, you know, just because he doesn't have a hundred percent of what a Senator, the weapons a Senator normally has, doesn't mean he can't do the job. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm worried. I mean, after I heard about the NBC thing, I mean, I, he, he is said to be improving, but it's been five months. So I doubt we're going to see dramatic improvement between now and the debate, which yeah. is only like two weeks away. Right. Right. And they can kill him on the issues, mainly crime. So uh, they should be happy that he's fine. And they, they shouldn't make it. So if he's fine, he wins. That's that's a that's a incredible. But I, I almost think they can't escape the that. This, but, well, I, I mean, I, I do think the focus is going to be overwhelmingly on just how he performs cognitively. and. Who knows? They said he stumbled over words, but occasionally, but seemed to know it and even correct himself. Um, and we'll see how weird I, I since I didn't see the NBC thing, we'll see how weird it looks when he's having to pause and read whatever Oz just said. Right. Um, I think he can read it pretty quickly. We'll see. I mean, it's going to look strange. And but if if he if his answers are always fully formed. I think that'll exceed expectations, probably. Yeah. No, I think that's right. That's why I think. So how are you feeling about our bet crime. last time? Remind me, what was the deal? I bet on the. the I forgot uh, what the debate was. It, it was the odds. It's on tape. So we, can, we can find it's it. It's on tape. We'll go back and find it. But, but what, was uh, it, what was it even about? It was about who would win the Senate uh, uh, de facto. And what did um, I say? I think you bet with, I think we both bet with our hearts. Uh, I think I bet Democrat, uncharacteristically, because I don't like to jinx myself. Um, I, I think it's much more likely it was the other way around, but okay. We will defer we'll to see. the video we'll tape. See. We will, we will defer <laughs> to the video tape. Uh, Obviously, we, we are unqualified to be senators. One uh, of us has already shown that he can't be elected to the Senate. The, the jury's out on I me. I could do the job, Bob. I just right. You might have been a great senator. Get the job. That's the thing. Uh, that's the that's the the bitter irony, Mickey. You would be a great senator. I would be a marvelous candidate. If you could somehow put us together, gosh darn it, we would <laughs> be um, completely incoherent and internally contradictory. Uh, I learned I learned that uh, money talks in campaigns, Bob. Oh, Mickey, that's so cynical. Well, I. I, I I had, you know, I had things I wanted to say, and it's California's a big state. You need twenty million dollars to get it on the air. I didn't have twenty million dollars. I had fifty thousand dollars. Hmm. Uh, anyway, um, where'd you get the fifty thousand dollars from? Donors. One donor. Twenty of it. Twenty of it was mine. And was the other like a person? One person, thirty thousand no. dollars? Can I meet? No. Them? No. 
No, there were a couple of people who gave the limit, but uh, but there, you know, it was it's, it's it was regulated money, so nobody could mm-hmm. give more than the limit, um, mm-hmm. which was like twenty eight hundred, fifty six hundred, something like that. Uh, uh, wait, what were we talking about? We we're talking about American politics, I believe. We we're talking. Okay. I, I we may be done. I mean, is there anything else to say about the election? Uh, no, I was thinking that maybe this cost of living increase would help Biden, but uh, it doesn't take effect till January, and I don't think, unless it actually shows up in people's bank accounts, it really moves the needle. Yeah. So what how is did, this? How did the Democrats let that happen? They should have. Trump would have moved to have it them get the checks in October. He would have. Uh, anyway, um, we can. Uh, there, there's there's an issue that combines foreign policy and politics. We can get to that. Is that inflation? No, that's Biden threatening the Saudis with a cutoff of arms uh, after they refused to delay the OPEC price hike for a month. Gee, putting it after the elections. And and the, so the Republicans are saying this is exactly like Trump pressuring Zelensky with a threatened arms cutoff if he doesn't uh, pursue Biden's son, Hunter. And I think that's a good analogy. But the argument for the there's a national interest in delaying the price hike that's greater than the national interest in uh, prosecuting Hunter Biden, although they're both in the national interest. That's why I wouldn't. Well, I would also. It could also be said by people who are on Trump's side here, not on Biden's. If it's true that what he said to Saudi Arabia is, can you just put it off until after the election? Then it sounds like it isn't the public interest per se that he has. He said just put it off for a month. But we don't even know that. That's just the claim of MBS, right? I think that's been reported. No, that's been reported. By who? I'm pretty sure. The press. I don't know. I I go on the web. I I go on the web. I see a thousand things, and that was one of them. I don't think it was speculation. Well, to the if, if that's what they said, if they just wanted to put off a month, I mean that's bullshit. That that doesn't help the world much. It just well, it just if, does get him past. If the you election. think if you think you're you're trying to delay the onset of inflationary expectations, you don't want them to take root. Any delay is good. Any delay, I mean, it probably didn't have a big impact since people knew it was coming. But if you can kick the can down the road, as you say, that's a good thing. Maybe something will happen in the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, like maybe the war will end, you know, maybe, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so maybe the world will be destroyed, which would obviate all these problems. Could be. Uh, so anyway, I just, I, I think it would be in the national interest, but it would also be obviously hugely in the Democrats' interest. So, Well, I, I, I'd have to see the sourcing on the claim that they, they said, can you just do it for a month? Uh, that would be pretty crass, if you ask me. But um, we've crassness is no longer a, an impediment. No, it's come to that in American culture, American politics. The crass we do immediately. Mm-hmm. The illegal takes a little longer. What is the actual quote that's derived from? It's a funny quote from Henry Kissinger, uh, better than Herschel Walker's story. Oh, the saying, impossible takes longer. Saying no, it? saying saying. Uh, the illegal, if you do immediately, the unconstitutional takes a little longer. <laughs> ah, I miss Henry. Oh, wait, he's still around, isn't he? Um, somebody, what was it? Was there a picture of Michael McFall and Henry? No, no, oh, no, no. It was a pic- Never mind. There's a, uh, By the way, I want you to, 
Your hero, Chris Murphy, is one of the people who say we should take the arms from Saudi Arabia and ship them to Ukraine. Yeah. He, uh, he's, he, he's, uh, it, it, does that, it, does that, has he forfeited his position in your pantheon of heroes? No, no. He, 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 he's never in my pantheon of heroes. It's just in terms of, you know, plausible Democratic candidates who are electable, more electable than Joe Biden, A, and B, uh, better on foreign policy than the average Democrat, you know, that's that's the slot he's in for me. So, you know, for foreign policy, he's about as good as it's going to get. He's still, you know, a little blobbish, and, and he certainly has been on Ukraine. But uh, would you but, would you would you endorse his proposal? Oh, sure. Screw the Saudis. Happy to do that. I mean, I mean, just just viscerally, that's my reaction. I haven't really thought it through. I haven't put on my Clausewitz hat, you know, uh, but you know it, it whenever mbs is suffering i'm i'm in a better mood uh i'm waiting for somebody to say we shouldn't have made such a big deal of Khashoggi. the realistic the realistic perspective says it was a bad thing but our national interest is in keeping saudi arabia as our friend well no it, it was far in 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 realist terms it was not mbs's biggest crime his biggest crime was uh was uh you know the the his regional foreign foreign policy but and as a re as a realist are we supposed to even care about that well yeah so, when he's so when he, he prosecutes a war in yemen why, why what is that of our concern well it's destabilizing it wreaks havoc uh i mean look even on humanitarian grounds i would say you know that he, he's killed thousands and thousands he's responsible for the deaths of tons of people there to show jesus one person even on those grounds i'd say that's his bigger crime Right. Well, right. Okay. But, but, but the egregiousness well, I, of the Khashoggi thing is mind blowing. I mean, come on. Correct. The, and 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 you know, it's just it it, it 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 really speaks to what what a complete you know thug hack he is, and 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 what a problem it is that he's running the show there. Not to mention what he's doing to golf. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Don't get me started on golf, man. But uh, Khashoggi, no, I agree with that. was I agree. one thing, but I mean, when you start it's messing a, with Rory McIlroy, you've gone too far. It's um, it is it is a revealing tell into his character. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, that's what Chris Murphy did. So, I mean, you know, they they need the anti aircraft, and and look, frankly, Saudi Arabia doesn't particularly. Um, I, I don't need, I don't know that much about Patriot missiles. I thought, mean, okay, well, we might as well get to, to topic A. They need the anti-aircraft so they can humiliate Putin even more and make it more likely that he launches and uh, uses nuclear weapons. I mean, at, at some point, you know, the Ukrainians are doing well enough, no? Well, this is the, the double-edged sword thing that we keep confronting here is that you know, wasn't it wasn't it great that they had the big victory in Kharkiv? Oops, it led to mobilization. You know, this is, you know, hey, wasn't that a big blow they dealt to this bridge? Ooh, it led right. to massive retaliation. Well, so why, so why why piss on Elon Musk for making a reasonable proposal oh. for settling the thing? Uh, and you know, and I read by the way, I read the column by Ignatius and one by Fred Kaplan. Fred is much more hawkish than Ignatius. Ignatius just says. Ukraine is going to fight to the death. They really don't want to concede. Fred said they shouldn't concede. And I don't know how he squares that with the what he recognizes is the real likelihood that uh, 
it will provoke a nuclear crisis with the real likelihood that that they will actually be an exchange of weapons. Yeah, Ignatius was sounding concerned and 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 remarkably suggestive that peace talks would be a good idea. And that's significant because he's very much, I don't want to say a creature of the national security establishment, but he's very source dependent. He's often seems like he he was voicing he was voicing the Biden administration view, which was better than I thought it was, which is we really want to negotiate this thing. Well, I guess I guess that's what Biden partly meant. When he said a couple of weeks ago, this thing we discussed last week, even though I hadn't actually heard it at that point, where he, where in the course of saying we're on the verge of Armageddon, he also said, I, I just want to, you know, I don't know what Putin, I want to know what Putin's off ramp is or something like that. He's clearly groping for some kind of so- solution. And well, they're clearly concerned is what I would say. And rightly so. And not just because of nuclear war per se, uh, but because of the more general potential for escalation that that one way or another leads to a degree of mayhem that even, you know, he's not Biden's not happy with. Uh, um, I couldn't believe in that speech. He managed to blame Trump for this. Event. What did he say? What did he say about Trump? that? I, 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 I had no idea that what a, what a, how how uh, how much damage had been done to our foreign policy under the previous administration. I mean, give me a break. This is his crisis. I mean, the truth is that uh, the, the thing that Trump did that most plausibly raised the chances of invasion is the thing Trump resisted, uh, if if for completely corrupt reasons. But that was uh, sending arms to Ukraine. Um, anyway, the so uh, we should have we should have impeached him because he didn't withhold the arms from Zelensky. Right. We should have once the first mm-hmm. impeachment effort failed, they should have impeached him for finally caving and sending the arms. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I wanted to speaking of which I wanted to there's something I said last week that I kind of regretted because I'm sure it sounded bad. I didn't go look at the YouTube comments to see how bad it sounded, but it was this thing where I was I was complaining that we have these various client states who are pretty demanding and don't give a lot obviously, to us in return. I mentioned Saudi Arabia. I mentioned Israel. And I said about Ukraine, like, man, we've given them a lot of shit and they keep asking for shit. I'm sure that sounds kind of bad because obviously, if you're in the fix there and you keep asking for shit, you always want more. Their country was invaded. A a big fraction of it is occupied. Russia uh, may well try to take a lot more. You always want more. I think what was really on my mind was kind of their tone of voice almost. I mean, which I think is not even really productive from their point of view always. I mean, it's the way Zelensky tries to kind of shame people into doing more. I mean, you remember when he was uh, with Israel, he was like trying to, I don't know, make, make it sound like given the fact that the Holocaust happened, you have to help us as if like this is like a very comparable thing or something. And I thought that was going a bit far. Uh, I mean, and, and and kind of counterproductively so. And I don't think it paid off. Did, did Israel ever do much for them? Well, I think Israel um, uh, is is not going to be wildly receptive to uh, pleas from Ukraine. They're famous anti-Semites. Well, right. Uh, well, and in fact, of course, the 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 Russian argument is that the one thing the, the Western media never mentions is the continued role of the so-called banderites in Ukrainian politics with their with their neo-Nazi inclination. But the um, the other thing, and, you know, I, I think there was a point where Germany 
offered something and he said, no, you know, that that's not enough. And I, and I think, I mean, again, I understand being as exercised as you can possibly be right now, if you're Ukraine and, and, and doing everything you can to get stuff. But I just wonder if that's going to really help him in the long run with Germany. I mean, the German politicians are, have been delivering lately. They gave him some anti-aircraft stuff, but I just wonder if, you know, when winter comes, energy is costly in Germany, whether, you know, he's really uh, wisely cultivated a German popular sentiment here. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to say, I understand their desperation, um, which, yep. yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I, I agree. It, it reminds me of Chuck Schumer after 9-11 when, when, when the nation's hearts were going out to New York and we were ready to give him anything. And he, and he gave a speech where he said, it's not enough that we get the same aid that any other part of the country would get if they were hit like this. We want more right. because we're the focus of culture and finance in America. We're better than you. So give us more. Yeah, that'll win over the heartland. <laughs> like, Okay, that's that's probably the reason <laughs> Trump was elected two decades later. Yeah. Right? The um, um, the good. Uh, no, I want to, be, yeah, I want to talk more about Musk, but you go ahead. Well, I want to say a little more about Ukraine. I mean, the uh, for starters, the uh, you know, it's first of all, a ton has happened since we spoke. I think we last spoke before the bridge thing okay so that happens uh the pretty massive retaliation happens it's not clear that russia wouldn't have done that anyway this this thing about uh taking you know going after the infrastructure uh it was clearly on the planning board they they did it fast and it was reasonably well orchestrated so it's clearly there whether it was merely a contingency plan or something they were planning to do we don't know they had been under a lot of pressure to do it from the hardcore nationalists because uh, you know, it isn't just, I mean, part of the idea may be the psychological impact on civilians, which is what the Western media is focusing on. But also, apparently, you know, Ukrainian trains are all electric. Uh, trains carry a lot of military stuff, including the NATO stuff that comes from the Polish border. So the national, you know, the hardcore militarists have been arguing they should do this partly for uh, military reasons. Um we, you know, so I don't know if that was retaliation. I mean, Putin is happy for it to be seen as retaliation because he wants to signal that, you know, do not mess with this bridge because that bridge is very important to them strategically. They move a lot of military stuff into Ukraine through that bridge. Uh, apparently, even when they're moving stuff from southern Ukraine to Donbass, it often makes more sense for them to go through Crimea. So uh, for reasons I don't totally grasp, but it does. So. Uh, Anyway, all that happened. What I would say about the last week was I think it was a bad week for Ukraine for other reasons, which is just that not much moved on the borders. You know, there was not much progress for either side, maybe a little on balance, a little for Ukraine. But as I said last week, I think these are precious weeks, these next few weeks. The Russian, you know, the, the, the troops are starting to get a little beefed up, I gather, as a result of the mobilization you know, both because of uh, mobilized troops going there and because of mobilized troops, I guess, relieving other soldiers who go there, whatever. Um, and I think that's going to continue. And, and of course, the conventional wisdom in America seems to be, at least among a lot of people, this mobilization thing is kind of a joke. These hapless Russians are clearly incompetent. 
you know, I think that's that's going to be wrong. I suppose it's conceivable that, uh, you know, these troops will have such low morale, be so poorly trained and equipped that they'll be like a net deficit. But I don't think so. I mean, I think more bodies in the trenches are better uh, for playing defense. Doesn't mean Russia is going to have an easy time mounting an offensive anytime soon. But I do think it means they're going to hold the line. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I think if we don't, you know, we, we uh, again, any week you could have a big breakthrough. But I think if it doesn't happen within a few weeks for Ukraine uh, and, 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 and I should say Kherson is a region where it would be particularly nice for them to chase the Russians back across that river. That's a nice, clean, stable border. Um, but if they don't do it pretty soon, uh, and they could well, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if they'll do it. Somebody should do a piece on what is the Goldilocks point where the Ukraine, Ukrainians have gotten as much as they can get without excessively uh, backing Putin into a corner where he escalates. Um, somebody, wait, what is the Goldilocks point? I mean, the, the Goldilocks point is you say we want Ukraine to win, but we don't want them to win all the way because then the result is a disaster. So, uh, or a potential disaster. So, you know, having a stable border like a river is a good thing. Having, right. you know, uh, advancing beyond the river and pushing the Russians all the way out of Ukraine, that might be the humiliation that uh, forces, I don't, know, I don't know the situation on the ground, but that forces Putin to do something really stupid. Yeah, if there's a non-disastrous way for them to chase the Russians entirely out of Ukraine, great, but I don't, think there is and uh what you know that would be the optimal outcome um but i don't think there is i don't it's not even i think they're that easy to see them chasing russians out of ukraine period unless and this is kind of a scary prospect unless biden uh starts escalating in terms of what weapons systems he gives him and i'm not even exactly sure what those would be, I mean, you've got the long-range uh, version of the HIMARS missiles. You've got modern battle tanks. You've got fighter jets. I, I don't know what else you have. And uh, But I worry, you know, that this is going to become a, a mano-a-mano thing between Biden and Putin. Neither one can back down, well, and Biden escalates in terms of hardware. It's it's weird. He he he. When he gave that talk to the donors, and where he t used the word apocalypse. And, uh, you know, you obviously want to give, you want to, people are giving you money, you want to let them think they're ha they have an inside track to the real inside info. So it's not bizarre that he gave that speech to donors as opposed to the public. But um, uh, he clearly was sort of casting himself as Kennedy in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And as Fred Kaplan says in the same article where he takes a very hard line on Ukraine, this isn't the Cuban Missile Crisis because in the Cuban Missile Crisis, both leaders sort of didn't want a war, and they were desperate to back down, or they were—they were—they both wanted to get back down to back down. That's easier than this situation, where they—they—they're they're not that keen on backing down. They want to win, so uh, uh, it's—it's—it's—it's um, uh, it's just a much tougher job Biden has than even Kennedy has. Yeah, I mean, you know, Putin is out there in a way that Khrushchev wasn't. I mean, uh, you know, Putin declared a war with specific, well, he didn't declare war per se. 
He started a war with specific war aims, made a big deal of them. He hasn't even achieved them. Uh, and then he and then he upped the ante by expanding the claims with the, by annexing four provinces. And and these are explicit things. Uh, and, you know, he would face serious domestic political pressure if the whole thing collapsed yeah. and, you know, possibly existential pressure from his point of view. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's a mess. And, you know, right. the thing about Biden, uh, you know, upping the ante with the hardware, I mean, it's not that per se so much that bothers me. It's just the, the likely potential for this, but the potential for that to turn this into a wider war that is is catastrophic, is ultimately yeah. catastrophic. Yeah. The, uh, on on Musk's proposal, I mean, it, 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 there is a, a journalist, Ian Bremmer, who claims Musk told him he had actually talked to Putin before <laughs> making this proposal. I don't see what's so bad. If you want a proposal that Putin can accept, maybe you want to talk to him. His proposal was not, as some people wrote, dictated by Putin or could be dictated by Putin. I mean, it, it called for a new referendum in these provinces that, that Russia had already had, just had a fake referendum in. So that's not uh, that's not something Putin would dictate. But the fact that you sort of got a favorable response from Russia is a good thing. It means it's a viable option. What I didn't understand is, does Musk's proposal, which calls for securing water supplies to Crimea, allow the Russians to stay in that whole swath of southern territory that they occupy? I don't think it does, but maybe no, I missed no, it. No, I think the point of that guarantee, I mean, remember, one, one of the main reasons Kherson matters to Putin is that the Ukrainians have been denying water to Crimea. The, the water to Crimea, a lot of it had traditionally flowed through there, and the Ukrainians have been denying it. And now that the Russians are where they are, I think they can guarantee a water flow to Crimea. And so the point of a written guarantee of continued water is that even if the Russians lose the referendum in Kherson, they would be willing to vacate, in theory, according to this peace plan. Sort of like our guarantee to Ukraine that if they were ever attacked by Russia, we would defend them if they gave up nuclear weapons. Well, you mean you mean I, the scenario I, I, where we did make that guarantee? I.e., it's an unenforceable guarantee. Well, in principle, but you know, when 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 you put it on paper like that, and Russia says we will attack you if you don't if if you break this agreement, there's a there's a pretty strong incentive to keep the water flowing. I mean, well, I, I, you know, they attacked before. Where did that get them? Yeah, I'm. I guess it got him wet. I mean, look, on the other <laughs> side, people say, wait, we're going to trust the Russians to pull their troops out if they lose the referendum. I mean, the other thing, as I said last week, is, you know, a lot of the pro-Ukrainian people have been chased out of some of these provinces. You would want them to come back and be able to vote. Right. I'm not sure how enthusiastic Putin would be about a vote then. Putin may think, and he may be right, that in some of these places, he could actually win, get more than 50 percent of the vote because so many pro-Ukrainian, because there were a lot of pro-Russian people to begin with, pro-Ukrainian people have left. I have no idea what the outcome would be. But anyway, the, this is kind of related to what I was saying about tone of voice. I mean, you know, Elon Musk, remember, at the whatever you think of this peace plan. And first of all, look, if if from I said, I said a lot of this last week, including if Ukraine really believes that a legit vote in this in these four provinces goes in its favor, which is what it says. And you really could do the Musk deal then I, I don't see how this is obviously an anti-Ukrainian proposal. Wait. A. B, let me just, just finish this one with this tone of voice point. 
Elon Musk, in any event, donated a ton of these Starlink terminals to Ukraine at the beginning of the war. They've been very helpful. He says it was $100 million worth. And and the and this this Ukrainian ambassador to Germany or something when because of this peace plan says Elon Musk fuck off I mean give me a fucking break and now now Musk obviously in response to that sort of thing has has threatened to demand payment for his Starlink now it could be worse you could say I'm withdrawing them completely uh, well he know, has the, but uh, the, but uh, you know the, all that means is that the Pentagon will have to pay him off to to pay him for it but. Uh, it, it's still it was it's uh the, the story has evolved since last week in that Musk now seems to be pissed off. Yeah, I mean, he, he I tell you in a certain way, my you know, I've had my, my opinion of Elon Musk has had such and downs in a certain sense. My respect is growing like I used to think his seeming weirdness was kind of calculated, like, OK, he says crazier shit than CEOs have said, but. He understands that, you know, he just wants to turn Tesla into a little more of a meme stock where he injects his personality into it. And he's got his fanboys. They buy the stock. Blah, blah, blah. But now I'm just thinking, man, this guy just every day says what he feels like saying, because it seems well, to me he is starting to take some risks as far as Tesla's stock. He was he's been he was taking risks from the moment he uh, talked about taking over Twitter and took on Twitter. And and that, that there it, you do get the sense that I'll. This is my conspiracism. I always think it's always all about comprehensive immigration reform in the end, but it is it is it might all be about Twitter. In other words, Musk is getting a lot of shit for this reasonable proposal because the left wants to say we can't let this pro-Russian madman take over Twitter. They care more about Twitter than they care about Ukraine. So they're using the Ukraine thing to tar Musk for the forty four billion dollar Twitter acquisition. And to make him into a devil figure, the way they tried to do Joe Rogan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and um, it might work. But uh, I, I think it's uh, a lot of the hostility to Musk is all about Twitter, not about Ukraine. Yeah, uh, I hadn't thought of that, and that's possible. Look, the the final thing I'd say, kind of in his defense, you know, he's also he also came up with this uh, plan to solve the Taiwan problem, right? That by that was less appealing. Uh, it was. It seemed more naive. I, I mean, look, making the Ukraine thing work is is a triple bank shot at this point. But making any Ukraine thing work is a triple bank shot. And uh, it was pretty clear that you're not going to sell his Taiwan idea. But I would say his basic impulse to try to stabilize the world right now, I think, may look pretty good in retrospect. In the sense that I think more than maybe many people realize. There's a chance that things could head really badly south for the whole world, right? There's a lot of shit going on. Inflation, you know, corralling inflation is going to take a lot of uh, austerity from central banks. And, and we already seem to be in something like a recession. Uh, and, oh, I don't think we're in a recession. Well, people argue. But 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 the... Uh, I mean, the... the and, the, and, the, and and look, one of the main fuels of the inflation, uh, the the war in Ukraine shows no signs of ending. And in a way, the hope would be that it just doesn't get worse for the next year. Right. That that's that's how bad things are, is we're hoping it doesn't get a lot worse over the next year. A B uh, this this uh, th this chip 
war that Biden declared on China. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but it happened like about a week and a half ago where where uh, Biden imposed all these restrictions on on the the export of microchips to China and to and, and more broadly, the export of technologies to China that are made in other countries, but draw on American technologies. The more I'm hearing about this, the more I'm seeing it depicted as a real declaration of cold war and 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 uh and something well, it's a that declaration will have, of economic war sure well yeah which which comes at a price okay these things come at a price it, it will be inflationary itself and have various other consequences um and, inflationary as kroger and albertson's merging now that seemed hype to me what headline was it that said they they now pose a threat to amazon and walmart what are you talking about all they sell is groceries right yeah, but it seems to be a bad word. Anyway, so I, that was a distraction. No, I'd be but, um, happy for it not to go through. I just think when you're, I just think as far as antitrust goes, err on the side of but, uh, uh, of caution and don't let huge yeah, companies exactly. Merge. But your your argument is your argument is we're we're facing this crisis, so Musk is right to want to calm things down. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of fronts where things could get out of hand. Yeah. I mean, the, I, the, the global economy is not looking great. I mean, I mean, I mean. One thing that's happening is that China, we, we talked about, uh, you know, Hanania's point, which I, I guess is was not quite your point, but close to your point, which is that an autocracy like China loses the power to correct for its mistakes, maybe, at, at, at ultimately, in, in, in theory. And they sure seem to be heading that way with their COVID policy, which is producing, is producing recession in their country uh, and probably won't succeed in containing COVID in the end, but it's bizarre because usually the virtue of autocracies is they can condemn a lot of people to death for a higher national purpose. This is the opposite. They're sacrificing their national purpose in order to save lives that, you know, that, that uh, basically in order to save lives that are probably in the calculus of cost benefit, they wouldn't want to save. Uh, well, it, it's bizarre. I think you may, this is sheer conjecture, see a change of policy after Xi Jinping gets through this party Congress. It's next week that he is, starting Sunday, they're going to have this Congress where he's probably going to be appointed for a third term. This is like to him, well, not just what the midterms are to Biden, but what a presidential election would be. It's like it's once like, he's- It's like being know, a made man was to Joe Pesci. Exactly the metaphor I had in mind. Okay. So the- uh, you know, I, the risk right now of changing the policy, I mean, they've got themselves in this box where if they try to walk this policy back, the short term effect is a lot of COVID. It's bound to be. Right. You're going right. to, you know, because they, they don't have the built up immunity that we have through a combination right. of vaccines and people actually having had the disease. Right. Right. So, you know, I think he may be willing to pay that price once he gets through this uh, party Congress. That's a good point. I mean, I you know, for that it. matter, Biden, uh, once he gets through the mid, Biden may be under the impression that if it looks, if he looks weak on Ukraine before the midterms is bad for the Democrats, you may see him uh, try to push Ukraine toward uh, peace talks, although it's still not that easy to imagine them. I keep, I keep waiting for him to make last minute moves like that. Uh, for example, on the border, I expect him to send National Guard federal troops to the border. He has sent federal troops to the border. But he hasn't publicized it. They've been going secretly. Okay, what kind of campaign move is that? 
it's I, I it's a mystery. I don't understand. Well, he, he unless, could be unless, concerned. The federal, unless it's not theater and the federal troops are actually going to help, which uh, well, I don't know. I mean, with uh, on with Ukraine, I'm suggesting the opposite, which is that he may think he needs to be tough until the midterms and then could push Ukraine toward peace and be accused of throwing them under the bus. Oh, OK, but, but he, OK, but, but, but as for your thing, I mean, maybe he's. You know, he probably feels it's a double-edged sword because some of his Democratic constituency would not like uh, hearing but, this. I don't know. But if you think it's purely theater, why do the theatrical act if it's not going to, if you're not going to put on a show? I mean, you're right. He may seriously think sending federal troops helps, so he's going to do it. But that was never the premise. The premise was it was all theater. Maybe they were uh, waiting for you to publicize it so they could say even Mickey Kaus. Thinks they're they're, they're both cases where we would have a last minute show of being tough. He did have a last minute show of being tough on Venezuelan migrants. where He made it sound like he's going to let them remain, make them remain in Mexico. In fact, it turns out there are very tight numerical limits that the Mexicans are imposing. So it's mostly bullshit. Uh, most of them, most of them are still going to get into the United States and get released into the country. and. That's not going to stop the flow. Speaking, so that, that was for show. Speaking of Venezuela, supposedly <laughs> to compensate for uh, Saudi Arabia disappointing us on the oil front, uh, we're going to look into thawing relations with Venezuela and start, you know, letting more oil flow. Uh, you know, in other words, re relieving the sanctions. But you, whenever anybody brings it up, the administration says no. They have to. They have to make. Uh, you know, the reforms, democratic reforms. And it's like, make up your mind. I mean, I thought well, when that's they, where we were, right? It's like, when they announced when they announced that they're cutting a deal, deal, they'll they'll announce it. But until then, they're gonna spout the party line. It's yeah, like, it's just so pathetic that they they still whoop. feel they have to have this token thing. You know, look, if this is the dynamic, we want the oil, then what's happening is they think they need this window dressing of of Venezuela making democratic reforms. And it's just, it's so even, pathetic. Even if they, they abandon the window dressing, they're not going to abandon it now. They're going to wait till the deal is cut. I mean, that doesn't bother me. The uh, It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I, again, I just think we should not do much in the way of economic sanctions, yeah. period. Yeah. Well, the, with the Venezuela, the, um, you know, as you know, my line on Venezuela is, is from an article I read in a left-wing magazine that I whose name I forget, but it was a very good article pointing out there's no way you can overthrow them militarily because there are more arms in the countryside than there are in the city. They're all Maduristas or whatever the word for Maduro supporters are, and they're going to win. So even if you took control of the city, you would lose the ensuing civil war. So it's, it's insane to expect any change of power there. So the sensible realist thing is just deal with them. Uh, the, um, do, do you remember the Trump, the, the Trump administration's uh, attempt, or the attempt that the Trump administration had some connection to? To it, it has since been called the Bay of Piglets. It no, like, I, it was so oh, pathetic. Oh, was that was with so, the, the 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 Speaker of the House of Representatives or whoever uh, he was? I was like, we sent down a do you know a dozen guys show up with arms and oh, say, okay, one, yeah. we're in charge yeah. now. Yeah, no, well, it's I always worth a shot. Yeah, the uh, the the. You saw that uh, David Sachs gave, made a point. And you, you wonder how much David Sachs is influencing Musk, for one thing. Uh, David Sachs is this Silicon Valley executive who has very realist views on foreign policy. Uh, he 
And he's been on my podcast, which right. people can Google. Yeah, he made a he he made a he he made a, a a reasonable point, which is it's crazy for the public discourse to uh, banish the outliers because the outliers are often the smartest people, especially when you have a foreign policy elite that is a proven track record of failure. And uh, so then you really want the outliers because the people who are in the blob itself in the mainstream are proven mediocrities. So uh, they asked him who would be a non-mediocrity outlier, and he said the best guy was Mearsheimer. I was surprised at that. But uh, uh, I mean, Mearsheimer seems to be a rock star to these Silicon Valley realists. Well, there aren't, I don't know how many Silicon Valley realists there are. But, well, it's uh, bizarre. There is this podcast, all the All In podcast, and they were all for paying Mearsheimer a lot of money to come to their conference. Well, he's a big draw. I mean, right now, I, I, that that makes sense to me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that means they all agree with Sachs on this stuff. Uh, but I guess uh, that's right. But the uh, there are other people they could have invited. You know, you, you could do worse. He got Ukraine right. I mean, I, for my money, he he's uh, and he's been on my podcast too. I you know, but what's uh, wrong with him? I want to know what's wrong with him. Well, he's 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 the he's the strictest kind of realist who who I don't want to put words in his mouth and he may say that I am, but uh you know, he he sees national leaders as kind of strict national security calculators. Uh, you know, and I do think that this played a big role in Putin's thinking. Uh, he saw the de facto NATOization of Ukraine as a threat as we would do incomparable, you know, if you reverse the circumstances and do a thought experiment where we face something like that. I think Mearsheim is right about that. But I but I think, you know, the strictest realists don't take much account of things like, well, a domestic political pressures, but also um, kind of psychological influences. And I think in the case of Putin, we were our uh, our policies for the last couple of decades have affected his psychology, kind of, in particular, the psychology of status, the psychology of respect, and so on, in ways that actually dovetailed with his national security calculations. So they only reinforced the damage, uh, the damage done by NATO expansion on, on, on him, and you know, on, well, the way NATO expansion, the way Mearsheimer would describe NATO expansion is increasing the chances of invasion which is just through kind of Putin as national security calculator. I think that was reinforced by the effect of NATO expansion and various other signs of disrespect we showed him on just kind of his own psychology and his conception of Russian greatness and Russian dignity and so on. And I would add all that to the you, way Mearsheimer looks at you, it. Did you see that paragraph I sent you from the Fred Kaplan piece? It claimed that Biden, the Biden administration did offer that uh, that Ukraine wouldn't be part of NATO. Yeah, but I think, I mean, first of all, I, I'd like to see where Fred got that, but I believe what he means is that Biden, they 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 offered to do the equivalent of what Kennedy did with the Turkish missiles, which is, we're going to assure you privately will do this, but we can't afford for it to be known. So Kennedy did that. He did pull the missiles out of Turkey, but nobody knew, so he preserved face. I, I, I think they what found Fred's, out pretty quickly, though, didn't they? I think they I don't know, but I think what Fred's talking about is Biden saying, "Look, we'll make this private assurance to you." And Putin rightly says, "Are you serious? You guys, you guys assured, you guys guaranteed the Soviet Union 
that you wouldn't expand NATO at all. But because we didn't get it on paper in a legal document, you went back on your word. You think I'm going to put, you, you know, you're not even going public with this, much less putting it on paper. Fuck you. Of course, right. he's going to say fuck you. Do you think that was his argument? OK, um, Fred, well, he, Fred, he virtually said Fred, this. Fred reads us as saying, see, nothing satisfies the guy. It was it was, uh, you know, his ambitions are boundless. Uh, well, I, I think it, I think about Fred, more than NATO. I think Fred proposed this. At the time, I mean, I had an email exchange with Fred where I said what I just said to you. Of course, he's yeah. not going to put up with this. And I think right. it was it was right around the invasion. And it was either Fred suggesting this happen or reporting that it was happening or something. And I think maybe I'm hallucinating, but I think I've got an email where I'm saying, you know, Putin's not going to settle for us whispering it in his ear. Right. We lied last time. What did Fred say? I don't know if I heard back from him. I'll... I'll... <laughs> um... Uh, the, uh, there, there was this statement by, uh, not, not Stoltenberg, not the, not a, a NATO official who was not general Stoltenberg, but some other NATO official saying we have to ready ourselves for nuclear war. I think yeah. it was a British official. And my, I, I just found that incredibly offensive. I mean, the Cuban missile crisis, we had to ready ourselves for nuclear war because there were missiles 90 miles from our shore and it was a threat to our national security. Okay. Who in America voted? to get ready for nuclear war over Ukraine. We we do not want a policy that makes us get ready for nuclear war. I'm sorry. Uh, nobody voted for that. It's not enough of it in our national interest that we should be ready for nuclear war, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. I mean, it could conceivably be that it is effective tactically for this guy to be talking this way well that's what but, he said but, i mean he, right. he was as a, a signaling as, as an ambiguous signal thing that is actually a bluff could 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 help deter nuclear war but well he uh, was operating in the you know be prepared is the greatest guarantee of peace but uh being prepared for nuclear war is a little dicey um, so Mickey, anyway i forgot to set the timer but i think we're at an hour now uh, i think so too and so we should uh, head toward the Parrot Room, patreon.com slash Parrot Room, where people can hear uh, this continue. I, I, there's one thing we're talking about that I do want to talk about, which is uh, how I think we need to reckon with the fact that Ukraine's interests are not identical with ours and are not identical with the world's. And this really comes to a head with nuclear war. And uh, yeah, there's an, there's an ironic sense in which it could make sense, more sense for Ukraine to court a nuclear strike from Putin than it makes for us to be willing for that to happen. Sounds crazy because they're there where the nukes would land. But uh, and, and this speaks to a point. Uh, I mean, I mean, Matt Iglesias had made had made the point like, well, they have at least a strong incentive to avoid nuclear wars. We do. I, I, I think there's, there's a sense in which that's wrong. And and we we need to think about these things. You want to talk um, about that? What else, what it, do you want? To... Well, I'm allowed four, and I think I have five. Okay. Uh, uh, I thought I had nothing, but there are a few things lying around. Um, there was this tape of the L.A. City Council. Oh yeah, it came out where the uh, city council members were saying what are allegedly racist things, and they're being called on to resign. I don't think it's quite that simple. I don't think at least two of them should resign. Uh, but there are a lot of interesting things to be said about it. It's a rare insight into what these people actually talk about when they're talking sincerely. Um, uh, there's uh, uh, 
Oh, who is who is the biggest liar, Gore or Biden? Remember, Gore got all sorts of grief for fibbing and exaggerating, similar to what Biden's getting now. I actually happened in my productive days have written a complete guide to all of Gore's fibs where I rated them uh, in their order of importance. And I can you can actually compare them with Biden's uh, bullshit is the best way to describe it. I like that phrase in my productive days. I'm going to start referring to my past that way. I like that. Uh, So there's that. That'll be quick. Um, There's the journalist Nikki Fink who died and got the worst series of obituaries of any public figure that's died recently. It's more like the British form of obituary where you say the bad things about the person as well as the Mm. good things. Well, the last Uh, name probably didn't help, but I I don't know anything about this. I the most powerful man in business is named Fink, Bob. Who's that? The guy who runs the fund that controls all the voting for boards of directors because it's an index fund and it has so much such a powerful hmm. such a big share of all these firms that he basically runs all of American business. Hmm. I forget which index fund he runs, but he's really powerful and he's he's pretty woke. So it's a problem. Speaking of wokeness, there's the PayPal controversy. Yeah. Where where they threaten to keep $2,500 of your money if you pervade misinformation. That just seems completely nuts. They seem to walk that back, but it's not over, Bob. And I'll tell you why it's not over. Uh, And this is if you say untrue things on like other platforms, I mean, PayPal is not a platform. Or if if your organization is in the business of spreading misinformation. Yeah. This just sounds yeah, like I mean, like commercial suicide. I mean, why this is just like the woke woke idiots taking charge and bankrupting the corporation. Yes, I hope it does bankrupt PayPal. So I um apparently it's quite hard to get out of PayPal. Who but, owns PayPal now? It was uh it was started by uh by Elon Musk. and Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who. Uh not Peter Thiel, I can imagine if if they're doing things like this, it seems um, like maybe did eBay buy it at one point, but I don't think they own. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, and the final thing, which will be the most interesting to our listeners, of course, is uh, Brink Lindsay has written something about about why workers are disaffected. Mm-hmm. It's not just economics, but it has he hit on a factor that I didn't hit on in my book, which is the changing nature of work itself. I'm not so sure, but we can talk about it briefly. Okay, let's see. What am I going to talk about? Uh, uh, I, I want to talk more about Elon Musk. There's just so much shit going on there, including we didn't even talk about is the Twitter thing going to happen or not. Uh, another well, step. The, yeah. Well, let's don't. Let's just. Okay. Metaverse uh, takes another step. New headset out. New metaverse propaganda. I want to talk about the metaverse. Uh, Okay, so now the serial guy, uh, Adnan, the subject of the serial podcast, is free and clear. The prosecutor said this week they are not going to retry the case. They had already said, you know, uh, he had already been let out, but now they're saying they're not going to retry the case. I still think he did it, uh, even though I'm not saying it's beyond a reasonable doubt. I still think the chances are much higher than 50%. It, yeah. No, nope, that's fine. That. I can make my point in the... I want to, I want to, if I can find this little clip of Maggie Haberman, I want to play it to you and think, see if you think it's not kind of damning. 
if you really think we can call her a great and 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 conscientious reporter after hearing this clip of her on Fresh Air, um, and I, I've always really? thought, she, yeah, I've always thought she was a little sloppy, and 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 to me, this reinforces that suspicion. Um, uh, do we? I guess we don't need to revisit your claim that 538 is a nefarious uh, leftist plot. Um, I don't. I don't think I have anything more to say about that. Uh, I do want to get, get on that, that that issue of Ukraine's interest in ours and the perverse uh, the perverse perverse incentive structure regarding uh, nuclear war. But I mentioned. I don't. I don't think they're a nefarious plot. I just think the poll the poll showing that Feder, Feder, that uh, McMullen has a seven percent chance of winning compared with. Lee's 93% chance, it's just garbage. It's just useless information. It's like chaff in the national discourse. Yeah, but you, and all, all the people on the left look to it as a security blanket because on most things, it leans to the left. Right, that's but the heart of your conspiracy the pro, theory. The pro-left-wing things are just as much garbage as the pro-right-wing things. That's my point. This I, one I actually do, okay, I do want to say something about that, that business of probability. I want to talk a little about probability and what is and isn't vindication of 538's predictions. Okay. Make I want to make a, a subtle, uh, possibly obvious point and not so subtle. Who knows? Okay. I like the Maggie Haberman attack best. Look out, Maggie. <clears throat> the parrot. I said, the parrot look is, out, Maggie. <laughs> the parrot's dead. That's a dead parrot. The parrot. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait. The parrot Rise lives. The parrot finds it. What? What are the parents? Look out, Maggie. Look out, Maggie. All right. It's it's always better when the parents. There you go. The Lazarus parent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See you in the parent room.